Welcome to our podcast, Transparently Speaking. I am Diana, and I have a son who transitioned at a young age to become his true self. And I am Joy. I have also supported my daughter to transition at an early age. We are here to share our experience and our learning along this journey. We want to provide support and guidance parent to parent. And if you find yourself on a similar journey, we want you to know that you are not alone. So let's dive in, transparently speaking. Today, I have my good friend and fellow parent, Kirby, with me today. Thank you for being here. Hi, it's so good to be here with you. I was hoping that you would share with our listeners a little bit about your own family story, specifically when I think the biggest question we usually get is when did you realize that your child did not identify as what they were assigned at birth? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's an interesting question because I think even as young as two and a half, my child was very clear that he didn't like the quote unquote girl stuff, like any dresses we tried to put on him, even at two and a half, he would try to take off and just the toys he played with. And I know it's stereotypical and any that, you know, it's just a toy, but like, it was really evident that he gravitated toward the boy stuff. So that was hard, but I had always been a tomboy growing up and I just assumed he was a tomboy. And for me, that was, that was easy. Like, you know, no big deal. Tomboys are, they're everywhere. And I think it really was fine for him for a really long time because he was able to dress however he wanted. He wore jeans and t-shirt. He had his hair in a bob, but I don't think he really knew that that was sort of a girl look. And so he was pretty happy. And up until I would say around age seven, when there was some acting out coming up and some you know, just different things that were kind of becoming evident. There might be some, something else going on. Part of it's probably the neurodiversity that we found out later about, but also some of it was just, just seemed really uncomfortable with in his own skin. And so he started getting really depressed at seven and actually talking about not wanting to be alive anymore to the point, not that he was going to harm himself necessarily because he didn't really have the the means to do it, but it was more about just wishing that he could not be here, wishing that he was never born, wishing that God hadn't made him, all those things. And so we, we actually had him go into therapy. So in some, in those sessions, the gender piece would come up or he would say, you know, he really thinks boys are better. He wishes he was a boy. The therapist was really adamant about telling him that he must, that must be really confusing. When I would meet with the therapist, he would say that to me as well. Just tell him that's very confusing and, and that he is a bo- uh, girl. Even we even went to, cause he was having a lot, my son was having a lot of issues at school. And even when we had, we had a meeting with the school, the teachers and the counselor too. And, and they brought it up as well. Like he's, He's asking questions about the boy stuff. We found him in the boys' room using the bathroom. What do we do with that? And he, the counselor said the same thing. Just tell him that's really confusing and you are a girl. And, you know, that went on for about a year. And until I started feeling really uncomfortable, like feeling like how much of this is actually me just trying to convince this kid that he's not who he says he is. And how, you know, and how much of this is actually helping? And it did, it wasn't helping. That wasn't going away. And so we actually fired the counselor because it felt like my intuition was not being met with that. And it was like, you know what? 
I think my child's trying to tell me something. So in that meantime, we would I would check in with my son periodically, and still he was he was a girl at the time that we thought he was a girl at the time, um, and I would check in and say, "Do you want to? You know, we could change your name at school. We could change your pronouns at school." And he would get this kind of terrified look on his face, like, "No, no, no, I can't. I like I think he just thought, no, I can't do that. That just seems too scary." And also, I think he felt like we would maybe not understand. So we were checking in, but it wasn't until he was actually nine years old that he was able to say fully that he was a boy. And it kind of was sort of an accident where we were we were chatting at a bath time and he said something to the effect of, do you remember when I used to be a boy and now I'm a girl? And I and I asked what he meant by that. Mm-hmm. And he actually pointed down at his genitals and was like, well, you know, I used to be a boy and now I'm a girl. And so what he, what he was saying is society has been telling me that because I have a vulva, I am now a girl, but, but in his mind, he'd always been a boy until that point. And I said, well, I, yeah. And I said, well, you know, that there are boys with vulvas and girls with penises and that if that is truly who you are in your heart. I said, that's the important part. So who are you in your heart? And he said, well, mom, I'm a boy. And that was the first time that I actually clearly heard him say it. Not, I want to be a boy. I wish I was a boy, but like I am. And I was like, well, then that's, then I think you're a boy. And he gave me the biggest hug. He is not a hugger. So we found out later he's neurodiverse, does not like any kind of hugging. And he hugged me so hard. And it was that second that like it clicked, all this stuff clicked. And so we had planned to go to the school. So that was like in the weekend. We had planned to go to school the next week and like talk to the school and make sure we had plans. He was so excited that he went in and just blared it out that he's a boy and this is his new name and he's going by he, him and all this stuff. And then we're like, oh, great. Now we get to do the catch up. But that's how it came about. I'm curious. Did you know anything? Like, what did you know about transgender people or did you know any others or kids at that point? I mean, it's such a good question because I did not know of any kid that was trans at the time. What I saw, and this is seven years ago, so I mean, understand that there is definitely a change now. 100%. (laughs) But at the time, what I saw was that either they were trans people were presented as serial killers or sexually deviant in some way or just weird like to to kind of be made fun of and to take my nine-year-old little kid who was adorable thinking that, oh, that's, that's, that's what I'm, that's who this could be. It doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I, that's why I actually searched for help because I'm like, I know my kid's not those things. (laughs) And what do I do? How do I, what do I do with this? What if I tell people and then he changes his mind or what if I tell people and they don't understand all that stuff was like present. I think that was one of my number one fears. What if I tell people and he changes his mind? 100% was, that was my biggest fear. But now I ask myself and others, so what? What's the problem if they change their mind? But there was something in my head about that story then will never be believed and there'll be judgment on me as the parent for listening to a child, quote unquote, you know? Yeah, that I somehow didn't know my own child well enough that if we went along this path and then he changed his mind that they'd be like, well, see, you're not even that great of a parent. Like it was all wrapped up in like this idea of this being a perfect parent. And what I know now is that actually being that being supportive of it was actually being the really good parent because, you know, even if he was just exploring his gender, what is the harm in that? Like there's no harm in that at all. 
And yeah, there was some really, really significant thing about telling people. Yeah, because we got a lot of, are you sure? Yeah, oh, 100%. Like, how do you know that this? I'm like, I've been living with this kid. Like, of course I know. But they were still like, how do you know? Are you sure? I also got asked about experts. Have, you know, for us, this is like almost 10 years ago now. But like, have you spoken to any experts? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Like, Show me one. Yeah. Is there a checklist I missed somewhere that they would have in front of them? <laughs> oh, definitely your child is trans. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it didn't happen. <laughs> so I was a tomboy as well. And however, with Clark, I really felt like it was different. Like that's how I understood it initially, but I felt like it was still different than the way I was. And the only way I could explain it is like, I had my blue Superman shirt because back then, you know, in the early 80s, late 70s, they didn't make them in pink. There was the blue Superman shirt. It was my favorite shirt. And I had my Wonder Woman bathing suit. (laughs) My favorite stuff. However, Clark would be like, no. Like, he liked Star Wars, but like, if they're Princess Leia, Wonder Woman, any female identified character, he didn't want to play with them. He wouldn't touch them. And I was like, I don't understand. (laughs) Like, it's fine that you like the rest, but why are we not being inclusive of everybody? And so there something there felt really different than my tomboyishness. And I think for me, I was like, yeah, I'm a tomboy and I'm proud to be a girl. And I think that last part was missing. Yes. And I, I was the same way. So in, for example, like I loved all that stuff too. And in, you know, this is 70s, uh, early 80s for me, where um, there wasn't a lot of choices. If you liked some of those superhero stuff, you didn't really get an option, right? So for me, that was fine. But I also wanted people to know as a girl. And I remember getting my hair cut really short and then people assuming I was a boy. And I had a really hard time with that. Like that really, that hurt me that they assumed I was a boy. The flip side, my son, when he finally got the haircut he wanted, which we called at the time a pixie cut, which is actually just a faux hawk, right? But that helped our brains be able to, this is still when he was identifying as a girl. So we had a pixie cut and he immediately looked like a boy and everyone thought he was a boy and nowhere in that did he hate that. In fact, he would light up when they assumed he was a boy. So that for me was the sign too. There was none of this like, Yes, I am very, I love all those things. I love trucks. I love all that. But I also really identify as a girl. There was not really any of that at all. And in so, fact, it was girls are not as good. Girls are, you know, and we'd have to be like, girls are great. We like do the cheerleader thing, you know, and he's just like, yeah, whatever. That's so funny because Clark never said those things, but that was my assumption that like, maybe he doesn't want to be a girl because he thinks we're not as cool. And so I was constantly going, girls can do the same thing. What is the problem? Exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you mentioned that your child is neurodiverse. How has that played a role, if any, on the journey? It's been with a lot of families who have neurodiverse kids who are also gender diverse. And sometimes they actually learn the neurodiversity piece first. Mm-hmm. I think because he, well, he was my only child too. And so I think we were actually parenting him in the way that he needed to be parented. So the neurodiversity wasn't as emergent, I guess is the word, <laughs> wasn't as like pressing. And so that piece was actually not found out until he was around 11. 
So for us, it was actually actually the gender piece first and where we had to do a lot of that grieving and realizing that, you know, this child was not exactly who we thought, but it was still the same kid, but my own expectations of who he was, I had to change. So then the fact when he became, when we, he was diagnosed with autism, that actually was easy for me. And I know that sounds weird, but like, it no. was just because we had gone through that, right? So your question about how does that affect it or not, I think in a lot of ways, interestingly, because he tends to see things very black and white, that in, that actually helped me realize that he is truly the gender he says he is, because in his mind, that's how it is. And he's always been that. Like, that's how he's always navigated the world. One thing that's really lovely about his neurodiversity is he is very scientific. So for him to understand the, the reasoning behind like why, how cross hormones might work or what puberty blockers do, or even like what a period is and things like that never bothered him if they happened to him, but it was, it was almost like, oh, okay, this is, this is what it is almost like an experimentation. So for, for us, it's been really in a lot of ways, really a blessing <laughs> to have the neurodiversity. But just because some people that do not understand gender issues have used the word experimentation, I want to make sure you explain what you mean that it felt like an experimentation for him. Yeah, no more like, oh, this is so he you know had a had two periods before we the puberty blockers worked. So for him it was more of no, learning from that experience. So not experimenting that he didn't have periods, but more of, oh, this is what a period is that he actually liked to have benefited from that. I, when I found out he had a period was super upset because I thought if I was a boy, that would be devastating. But in his mind, it was like, oh, this is what it's like. So now I can actually be empathetic to other people who do have periods. So for him, it was, that's what I mean by the experimentation. Yeah. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. And I was over there freaking out and he's just like, oh no, this, this, you know, this makes, now I know what it's like. So he loves that kind of thing. I would be like, I'm mad now. <laughs> I, <me too. laughs> and I identify as a woman. Please take them. <laughs> I mean, when I started mine, when I was, was just starting puberty, I was so upset. I was devastated. And I still, I identified it as a girl, right? Like I was a woman. Oh my gosh. But he, he was so good about it. It was like, Oh, okay. This is, this is what this is. So, yeah. well, I love that you say that because of his neurodiversity, like he, like it's makes, I don't remember exactly how you worded, but makes his gender clearer because you know, I mean, we know each other. So, you know, I've had to deal with that. And like you, Diana transitioned first mm -hmm. and I was just looking at the paperwork the other day. I think he got his diagnosis of being on the spectrum a year later. And we, like I had some people and family members tell me that they did not believe his gender because of his neurodiversity, because they thought that, I mean, I don't know. I can't make sense of it. <laughs> I'm like trying to explain it. I'm really trying. But some, I don't know what that was about, but I would, my response was always, no, it's quite the opposite because of the way his brain works and the way he sees things. 
It's like, of course I'm Dinah and I'm a boy. And the rest of the world might think Dinah's a girl's name, but I'm a boy and my name's Dinah. So that's the way it is. And like, this is who I am. Yeah. And in fact, I've had very similar things with, with not only my child in some ways, just because people question it about the neurodiversity, but also just knowing a lot of families who have neurodiverse kids who are also gender diverse. There's this, this idea from other people that neurodiversity is some sort of deficient way of thinking. And, and, and I think that's where it stems from. It's like this thing, well, well, if they are neurodiverse, they can't know their gender. Yes, that's exactly it. Yeah. And what you're, you're saying is true is that actually what that helps them see is that gender is um, spectrums of often, I think, not quite the word really, but it is a spectrum, right? Or a mosaic, but it's, we, they actually can see that better. That if I say who I, who I am, then you should believe me because I'm telling you this about myself. So I may, I actually know a lot of trans kids who maybe when they transitioned to like trans female, didn't feel the need to change their name. So I know several trans girls who were named James or Michael, right? Like for them, it's like, well, that's my name. I am a girl. So society can deal with it or not. Like that, that for them is not important. It's that I'm telling you this. So in fact, I think a lot of times neurodiverse people actually know better because it's not about how society is viewing them. It's about their true innate self. Right. Like that factors out. Yes. And I think that's why for me, his neurodiversity has been a blessing because he is definitely who he says he is. And I don't need other people to tell me who he is because he's told me. Right. And but yeah, that's a question I've gotten. It's like, well, you know, if he's neurodiverse, how do you know for sure that this is true? Because he knows. And society, the way that society has pushed that on him, that doesn't matter to him. He's not, that's not something he takes into consideration. Now, if you don't mind me asking, is he disclosed at school or non-disclosed? Meaning, do people know that he's transgender at school? So not, well, not currently. So he transitioned in the middle of fourth grade. So it was very, very obvious. And then we, we actually ended up moving and he just wanted to be the boy. And so we did not disclose except for, I did, I did disclose to the teachers that were going to be with him in his, in his classroom so that they could have his back if things happen on the playground or whatever. However, he has told friends. So his current group of friends are very, LGBTQ plus, a very queer friendly. There's some non-binary kiddos. There's some gay and lesbian kids. And so for him, it's a safe place. So disclose to the whole, the whole school, no, but definitely disclose to those that he feels comfortable with. And in fact, now that he's old or not enough, I actually have not told teachers because it's not relevant. But when he was younger, I knew he would, if something was found out, he wouldn't know how to handle it. And so I needed to have someone there that was going to be able to help. And now I know he's good. We've done a lot of role playing, which he hates, but he knows how to answer questions <laughs> that might come up. So yeah, he's he only does it if he feels comfortable. Yeah, I think Clark refused to role play it because he transitioned at seven. I think by 10, he was like, no. So I would just trick him into role playing by going, okay, well, what would you say? Like, we don't have to pretend to be anybody, but what would you say if somebody said this? <laughs> so that's as close as I could get. <laughs> I know, I know. And my kid was be like, you know, mom, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, well, let's just think of one thing that would be helpful to say to someone. And he said, it's that it's none of their business. And I'm like, 
well, that's, that's actually a good one. And so he did when he was younger, a lot of kids would ask like, what's in your pants and all this stuff. And, and wow. Well, in true, well, yes, but an actual, this is in fourth grade. You have to remember. And they were seriously, I don't think a lot of it was being mean, was being bullying. I think they were truly curious. Yeah. Um, and he would just say, oh, you know, actually that's none of your business. And he'd just walk away. Um, so that, that actually worked for him. So that's amazing. Yeah. They're pretty, you know, they're pretty curious at that age. They, we, as we grow, we get a little more subtle, but still not as still nefarious. Like we're like, what's going on? You know? <laughs> it's true. Are you, are you having surgery? Like the questions, oh my gosh, the questions I got from people when I told them my child at nine was transgender, they'd be like, is, is he getting the surgery? And I'm like, dude, he's nine. <laughs> you know, why are you asking me that? Yes. As we often say, to be very clear, no child is getting surgery for this reason. Yes. But I got that question too. I also got the question, does that mean he likes girls? And I was like, I have I have no idea. He's seven. I don't know. I don't know who he likes. I think that's one one of the more surprising things for me, truthfully, was because how many people equate gender diversity or gender, so the how you identify as how you what your sexual orientation, but it is so linked and I find that super fascinating. Right. Totally separate. And that's why I'd say, you know, Gender diverse people can be straight, gay, pansexual, just like everyone else. So yeah. I don't know. Right. Yeah, I have no idea. And, and actually, gender is something we know really young, like two and a half to three years old. Sexual orientation isn't usually until middle school around that age. I mean, it might be a little bit sooner for some kids. But so there's very big age difference when we know those things. One last question for you. What advice would you give parents right now on this journey? And you can be specific to if gender diverse or if they're living with the mosaic and spectrum. I love that mosaic, mosaic and spectrum, both, either one. I think the one thing that I I wish I'd been told and given um, permission to um, hear was, first of all, that no, no person can influence someone else's gender. So a parent cannot force their child to be transgender if they're not, or decisions you make or support you give is not going to make your child trans if they're not trans already or gender diverse. That's one thing I often have to say to people just to say it out loud, because I think we know that sort of instinctually, but sometimes we forget that. So you are not, you have not done nothing to your child to make them this way. The other thing is that the, the piece about support. Um, there was so much fear about, for me, it was like, what if this is a phase, right? And and I think what it helped me was when one parent said to me, I know that even if things change, my child will never regret the fact that I supported them. And I have kept that in my mind, that no matter what happens, even if my son tomorrow comes to me and says, actually, I'm the girl that you always thought I was, he will never have regretted the fact that I supported him through this because it helped him become who he was. And I'm, I am very content in that. And I know that very strongly. So that's what makes me feel good. I know my son's not going to do that. He's very strong in his gender, but I, I feel good about that knowing that um, there's never going to be that regret. I love that. I always say it's the true definition of unconditional love. We accept them just as they are right where they are right now. Well, thank you, Kirby. Thank you. That's a wrap on this episode of Transparently Speaking. Thanks for joining us today. Join us again on the 1st and 15th of every month for our next podcast. Thank you to Filter for our awesome music. That's P-H-I-L-T-Y-R. 
Check them out at Apple Music, YouTube Music, Spotify, or anywhere you download music. As a reminder, we welcome your feedback and questions. Email us anytime at transparentlyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com. If you're taking something away from our podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take a moment to provide us a review. The more listeners and reviews, the more people we can reach and support. Thanks in advance. Cheers from Joy and Diana.